a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Becky Bruce, host of Hope in Darkness. I'd like to tell you about a new podcast that I'm pretty excited about because it shares some parallels with Hope in Darkness. If you recall back in episode three, we talked a lot about the ongoing refugee crisis in South America and particularly involving Venezuelans looking to escape to a better life. Now, one of my coworkers here at KSL Podcast has a new podcast that explores a different refugee crisis. It's called Stranger Becomes Neighbor. It's been two years since the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan, and more than 80,000 people desperate to flee Taliban rule made it to America. But the story didn't end there. Now these evacuees live beside us, trying to make ends meet, and their future remains uncertain. What will happen to our newest neighbors, and what can one person do to help a stranger? The show's host is journalist Andrea Smartin. She spent two years following the new arrivals and those who helped them. As she uncovers these relationships, this podcast reveals the hidden ways we are all connected. You're about to hear a clip from the first episode of Stranger Becomes Neighbor. I hope you'll follow it now on Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode. It's wintertime in Kabul, Afghanistan, early 2021. And 15-year-old Baran spent her break from school binge-watching the TV series Prison Break. I watched it three times because I really love it. At first, she watched it dubbed in Persian. But then she had an idea. She wondered if she could teach herself English by watching the show. I can't help wondering what someone with your credentials is doing in a place like this. Took a wrong turn a few months back, I guess. She knew the story well. The main character, a structural engineer, makes an elaborate plan to get himself into prison just so he can break his older brother out. He even has the blueprints for the prison facility tattooed onto his upper body. Michael? Why? I'm getting you out of here. I really like that character. He is very smart and he thinks about all the things. And that was the reason that I kind of, I learned English. But she had no way of knowing how much she would need English in just a few months. Baran is not her real name. She asked that we use a pseudonym to protect her family. Back in the 90s, the Taliban beat up her father and broke his back because he was training women to work in the medical field. The family fled to Iran for several years. But Baran was born after American forces and allies occupied Afghanistan and ousted the Taliban from power. Her family decided it was safe and moved back to the country. Now it's a good place, Afghanistan. It's good for living. We come back to our country. She wanted to be a doctor, like her father. She had every reason to believe she could achieve her goal, and she was in a hurry. Baran finished high school two years early, but she never got to attend her graduation ceremony or take the exam to get into medical school. By August 2021, all of her plans evaporated. The Taliban is in downtown like driving, but there is no one to stop them. Suicide bombings just outside the Kabul airport have killed dozens. Suddenly, the focus was on escape and survival. 
the Americans were withdrawing from Afghanistan, and Baran found herself at the Kabul airport, one of many Afghans desperate for a way out. For five days, they waited on the street outside the airport. Baran, her parents, her 31-year-old sister, her two older brothers, their wives, and kids. All Afghanistan came to the airport to enter to the gate, uh, and it was very crowded. Everybody lost each other. And then the gates opened. As they pressed forward, Baran's sister was carrying her four-year-old niece, their brother's daughter, and they were knocked to the ground. They managed to get up before they were crushed. They made it through the gates. But when Baran looked around, several family members were not there. And when we entered to the gate, we lost our parents. One of their brothers and his wife, the niece's parents, didn't make it either. But the authorities pushed them forward. They couldn't wait, and there was no going back. They flew to Qatar, hoping the rest of the family would follow. They ended up at a makeshift military camp in New Jersey, where they spent several weeks. It was there that Baran celebrated her 16th birthday. One morning at 5 a.m., Baran, her sister, and niece woke up in the dark, skipping breakfast to get on an airplane, having no idea that they had two stopovers and would be traveling all day and into the night. The four-year-old begged to eat the food she saw in the airport restaurants, but the only money they had was Afghani. By the time they arrived at their final destination in Salt Lake City, there was a snowstorm. The first night that we came to Utah, it was a very horrible situation. It was 1 a.m. A caseworker from a resettlement agency drove them through streets covered in snow and brought them to an apartment close to downtown. When he opened the door and when he entered to the house, it was very cold and it was a snowy weather. There was no power, no heat. And this apartment was dark, completely dark. Baran tried to recall the English she had learned from watching Prison Break. But that night, standing in the dark room, she couldn't find the words to communicate with the caseworker. Even I couldn't talk with our caseworker that how we can turn on the heat, how we can turn on the light. Even we don't have the phone to call him that come here. They asked the caseworker to come back the next day. He said he would be back the next week. And then he left. My niece, she starts crying and she said that I don't want to be in here. And then they were all crying. There was a chair with a box of household items, toiletries and laundry soap stacked in the middle of the living room and some food in the kitchen left by the agency. Their niece was hungry. They'd been traveling all day without a meal. Without power, they couldn't cook, so they gave her a glass of milk and some bread. As women alone, they didn't feel safe. The lock wasn't working, so they pushed a table against the door. Before they left Afghanistan, they had never spent a night without their family. They were all alone in a strange land. And my sister said, so what should we do? We want to go back to the airport and I want to sit there. At least there's a kind of people, there's a population. If we live in here with this kind of situation, I want to come back to Afghanistan. If there's a Taliban, it's okay. Just, I want to go back. They were so scared, Baran's sister thought it might be better to risk living under the Taliban. At least their family would be together. What will happen for Baran and her family? That will depend on people like you and me. The global forces and political choices that created this situation are beyond our individual control. But how we respond 
we'll test who we are and how we define community. On this podcast, we're going to follow people after the evacuation is over and they've arrived at their destination. Who will emerge to help these new neighbors? And what does it mean to be part of a community? In August 2021, while then 15-year-old Baran was waiting on the streets of Kabul for the gates to open at the airport, halfway across the world, a woman sat on a sofa in her air-conditioned home in a suburb of Salt Lake City, watching it unfold on the news. She saw people trying to scale the walls covered in barbed wire, families crushed in the crowds and separated. Azim shared video of his wife at a Taliban checkpoint where he says she was tear-gassed and beaten. People crowding around a massive U.S. Air Force transport plane as it starts down the runway. Some even managing to hold onto the wings as it lifts. Then bodies fall from the sky. For most of us, it's impossible to fathom how someone could be that desperate to escape. But she's seen this story before. In fact, she's lived it. What I saw in the news, it's kind of triggered my memory. Her name is Nazifa. She asked that we not use her last name. To this day, she's nervous about exposing her family. More than two decades ago, before the U.S. occupation, she also fled Afghanistan. Her family, part of a persecuted minority and a target of the Taliban. We escaped, uh, maybe not like through evacuation flights, but we went through the same route, you know, leave our home with nothing. It's a time in her life she prefers not to think about. But when the U.S. withdrew and Afghanistan fell back into the hands of the Taliban, it all came flooding back. She remembered the day her father never came home. We couldn't find his body. We were waiting when the Taliban was coming on our door looking for us. Nazifa, the oldest of six children, was 12 years old when her family crossed the border illegally into Pakistan. She remembered what it was like to be on the run, her family living in one room with one blanket among them, how she worked in a refugee hospital, and her younger siblings worked as carpet weavers just to keep the family alive. Sitting on a big, cushy chair in her living room, she lets herself go back to that time. I didn't go to school or anything, so I just worked, survived. This is making you emotional. What, yeah. what What is it bringing up for you? All of the hard work, you know, it's like the life that I have lived. I'm grateful for the experience. I think that is what made me really strong. And that was, you know, why we work so hard in here. So I want to be really independent educated, and I never want to live for survival. Today, you could say Nazifa has achieved the American dream. She works as a risk analyst in the financial industry, a job that allowed her to buy a home in a nice neighborhood at the base of a mountain canyon. How she got there is another story that we'll get to in the next episode. Suffice it to say, she didn't do it alone. Right now, there are new arrivals from Afghanistan who need help, more help than the resettlement agencies can provide. So she and others are stepping up to volunteer. Thanks for listening to this clip of Episode 1 of Stranger Becomes Neighbor. 
out now from KSL Podcasts. Find our show on kslpodcast.com. You can follow us now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode.